Maybe then you can see me and I can see you Maybe then we'll come together as a people Tired of the pain cause it ain't new Let's come together as a people Even if we don't share the same view Welcome to the Jesus and Everything Foundation podcast. On this show, we look at all problems affecting the world and we discuss how we can solve them using the character of Jesus, unity, and decentralization of resources available to us. The character of Jesus, or as I like to call them, the Jesus character principles, are principles that whether you are a Christian or not, we can all agree on these principles. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For every episode, we discuss a problem topic from our category list. You can find this list on the Foundation's website, jaef.foundation. We ask ourselves and listeners, what is the goal? What is the vision for this problem category? What are the potential solutions? What are the obstacles? What resources do we need? And what resources do we have? But most importantly, do these solutions and resources pass the character test, the nine Jesus character principles? If yes, then we move on to collaboration. What does this look like? This show is a platform to get the ball rolling on as many problems affecting the world as we can. We want to go beyond just talking about problems. So after the show, we collaborate by acting. First, we open the discussion floor to our listeners. Then we decentralize and open source all of our resources from brain power, manpower, utilities to capital. Before every episode, I like to ask our viewers and listeners, do you ever ask yourself, where are we going? Where is this world going? Time keeps on ticking, the day ends, a new dawn arises, and life goes on. But what is our destination? Do we have any global objectives that unite us when it comes to things like food, security, healthcare, education, or standard of living? It's a fair question to ask. If you work for a company or work for yourself, you have a general idea about your company's vision. Goal. So what is our goal, our overarching vision as the current residents of this planet? What role is your company, your city, your country playing in the big picture? And what role are you who's listening to this playing in this big picture?
Welcome to the Child Offering Series. It's under our human rights category. You can find the full list of topics we shall cover under this category on our website, jf.foundation. That is jaef.foundation. In this series, I interview Melissa Zacharias, the founder of Us Connected, which is an organization focused on solving this issue of child offerings using a unique approach that we shall unroll during the course of this interview. The mission or mantra of the Jesus and Everything Foundation is to solve the root of the problem. And Melissa's approach towards this problem of child orphans is just that. Orphans are often seen as a social sector issue only. But prevention of children becoming orphans is a legal, economic, education, infrastructure, and healthcare not to mention social awareness or sexual education issue. This problem is integrated into many other industries, environment, government, urbanization, healthcare, culture, and world peace. In this series, we'll cover a wide range of topics relating to the problem of child offerings, such as what is the main cause of child offerings? We'll look at an ideal vision or goal for us as a community, what are the solutions, obstacles? And Melissa will walk us through how we can approach this problem with a prevention and intervention approach. The objective of this series is to first bring awareness to a problem that most people do not have on their radar as a serious problem, perhaps because it's not a problem that majority of the population deals with, but actually this is a problem that cascades into our daily lives as it affects many areas of our day-to-day -day lives that we might not even be aware of. For instance, we could have child orphans as a result of infrastructure not being able to withstand natural hazards. Such a cause is directly related to government policy and regulation for infrastructure. Child orphans as a result of sex work is primarily linked to lack of employment. So awareness of this problem of child offerings is step one. The other objective is to equip all of us listeners on how we can get involved. Following this, we'll be figuring out how we can partner with Melissa Zacharias and her organization as connected because child offerings are a community issue as you will later on find out during this interview and this problem requires all hands on deck. So in case you're ready to help when you finish listening to this interview, you can contact us through our website, jf.foundation, that is J-A-E-F.foundation, and we'll put you in touch with Melissa. Thank you. Like a lion, 
and they will tear my soul, rending it to pieces, rending it to pieces. This is episode two of the Child Orphan series. In this episode, I discussed with our guest, Melissa Zacharias, who's the founder of Ask Connected, an organization focusing on solving this problem of child orphans. In this episode, Melissa walks us through how we can approach different causes of child orphans using prevention and intervention. We hope this episode blesses your heart. Open up your heart and mind and let's dive in. So we're going to pick on like a few areas and maybe you can share some of your insights on like, uh, you know, looking at this problem, both from like a prevention versus like um, intervention. Sure. Yeah. And I think one of the other things that I think we're really struggling with right now, n not just in this area, but, you know, innovation, technology mm -hmm. and government policy. I think a lot of them are focused on intervention instead of prevention. Mm. So how, how would you personally, I, I, I believe that we should always lean towards like a 60, 40 to start kind of like 60% being a prevention. If we're looking at resources, mm. because it's almost like if you have a bucket, I mean, if you have a bucket that's leaking and it's like, well, it's kind of like, well, why don't you just kind of plug the hole? Like if you just keep pouring water into it, the water is going to go out. So if we don't actually think about preventing the problem, then it's, it's like the problem is always going to be there. Hmm. So how would you distribute your resources to solving if you're going to say implement a policy for prevention and also for intervention? So we'll just use the same example of um, let's say sex work. Mm. That's a tricky one. Mm. We, we, can, we can stay on the same train all <laughs> weekend. Well, it, it's awkward to talk about. Like a lot of people feel uncomfortable. And I and to be real, like a lot of Christians feel uncomfortable talking about it, right? And that's, it's fair because we don't talk about it enough. And so, um, but if we're talking about prevention, certainly 
uh, skill development. And there's a lot of organizations out there that do actually work on skill development for people who are vulnerable. And I think that that's amazing. Um, that is a significant support in helping people uh, gain skills just to access the labor market, but also be able to pivot when the labor market changes. I think that's in, um, incredibly important for creating that that resiliency piece. Um, yeah. The other the other piece, yeah, that you talked about was the infrastructure. So um, a tornado is a tornado, a tsunami is a tsunami. It doesn't really become a problem until it hits people or livestock or, um, you know, homes. And, um, and so there, if, and, and that devastation, the impact that it has is really measured by the level of vulnerability that that city or urban area or that rural community has. So if, um, let's say, uh, for instance, Cambodia, they had a boom, urban boom, uh, and buildings were going up left, right, and center. And those infrastructures are not strong, not able to withstand, many of them are not able to withstand um, any sort of natural hazard. So when that natural hazard comes in, a tornado, a hurricane, earthquake, whatever it is, um, and it really is dependent on the location of the country, of the community, um, because we know that um, Chile is going to have different um, natural hazards uh, or yeah. common natural hazards than Florida or um yeah, we probably in Vancouver have a bit more in common with Chile in regards to natural hazards than we do, um, for instance, of Sri Lanka, who get tsunamis quite often, or hurricanes in in Haiti and D Dominican Republic. So it really is about creating infrastructure that is that is particular for those vulnerabilities within those within those countries or those communities, um, and so increasing. Uh, or decreasing the vulnerabilities by creating strong infrastructure, healthy or, or effective and productive um, uh, emergency responses will reduce the number of casualties, which will reduce the, the natural disaster, the impact of the natural disaster. And that often also is um, correlated with the the size of the natural hazard, of course. Um, yeah. But if we can reduce the num, if we can increase the resiliency of infrastructure within various um, communities and urban areas, as well as rural areas, um, we can reduce the impact um, of, of, of the natural disaster and how it impacts um, or like of communities, but in particular because of the subject orphan children. So um, there's a, a lot more uh, children who become orphan after a natural disaster, like the tsunami in, uh, I think it was, oh, 2010, 20, 2008, when the tsunami hit in Sri Lanka. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and so, uh, that's a key point of reducing or the key prevention measure to, um, reducing the number of children who become orphaned. Um, yeah, intervention, is is really important to um, ensuring that the cycle is broken. Um, how much resources I would put in either one of those? Um, yeah. 
not trying to live from a scarcity mindset. I, I think it's not, it's not so much about where to put the amount of resources. Mm. I think it's about, um, everybody has skills. Every single person in every field has a contribution to preventing and providing, uh, intervention initiatives. Um, so, you know, I, somebody who has a, who is an en civil engineer background yeah, has a heart for orphan children. Um, if they have that in mind as they're helping to create cities and build cities, um, that is, I, that's an important contributor to preventing children to become orphaned. Um, so I, you know, it goes right down from when I was, when I was, um, digging into all of the causes and things that perpetuated the cycle of children becoming orphaned or going into homelessness or going into a drug addiction. Um, it, I looked at all of the components and I, I asked who should be a part of the conversation to help um, yeah. solve this issue. And there wasn't, there wasn't anyone that wasn't a part of that. So uh, marketing, uh, advertisement, those are all really important components as well as behavioral scientists in supporting sexual education, um, you know, influencing cultures to um, understand and accept, for instance, children who have developmental differences, um, children who in cer certain countries are orphaned because they have a developmental disability. Um, and changing culture requires influencers and not influencers from a, a from a you know, YouTube perspective, but an influencer from a, a almost a, yeah, a behavioral change or, um, yeah. yeah, that sort of piece. So. So you're saying that all of us are involved. This is not, all yeah. of us have a role to play. So, yes. so all of us are going to be solving this issue with you. So, yes. <laughs> um, so let's go into, so we've, we've spoken about broken systems, mm. systems and, you know, broken systems and community system with shame. Uh, I'd like to talk about it, from, from the research that you've done and looking at this problem, what broken system right now is causing the most offerings? Would you say it's the, the infrastructure one? No, I would say it would be the community one. Community? Yeah, I think... Um... Yeah, I would say the community and, and ensuring communities are addressing their shame, addressing their disconnect. And Brene Brown talks about this a lot. Um, I don't know how many people know about her, but I think her work is um, her work is world renowned and she is a, a Christian, but she doesn't she um, she's done research uh, from a research lens, not from a a Christian lens, but she does talk about shame, vulnerability, courage, authenticity, uh, integrity. Um, and all of her research is, I think, really profound in understanding how communities can come together and support each other. And, and I think her work, I think her work overlaps so well with what scripture is saying. Um, and it's just, it makes sense to me. So when I think about the two commandments Christ gives us, one is the first one is to love the Lord, your God with all your heart and mind, soul. And then the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, 
that the second one in particular, uh, obviously the first one is important and it, and it creates that grounding of our understanding of what grace is, what love is, what, uh, what is unconditional love. Um, yes. but, uh, the love your neighbor as yourself, like understanding what self-compassion is, what is integrity, what is accountability and accountability to others. And, and that interconnected piece that we are not islands to ourselves, but we are permeable to our, to each other and we impact each other. And, and certainly in my own life, I've had to, I've had to face my own shame about various topics. And, and that has increased my interconnectedness with other people that aren't my friends and my understanding, my empathy towards other people. And I think, um, you know, loving your neighbor as yourself is, it, you know, it's also about boundaries. Um, so if, uh, for instance, if a sex worker is not ready to leave, it's, it has to be her choice. It has to be her choice to leave. Um, and, and that can be really hard. Like you see that, you know, she or he might be damaging herself themselves, but um, they, uh, boundaries are incredibly important in a healthy community. Um, and so I think those pieces about, community, that, that community system piece is incredibly important to that, the, the historical cause and the future causes of children becoming orphans, I think is, is because natural disasters, uh, they help happen frequently in there. And depending yeah. on what your opinion is of climate change, or if the world is just going through a systems change, um, they're going to be happening you know, in various frequencies. And so it, it is essentially important to create um, strong infrastructure in our urban and, and rural communities. But um, it's, I think the piece of picking up the pieces when a natural disaster does happen, um, you know, that community piece is essential as we pick up the pieces from a natural disaster, as we come together and we build our cities and, and whatnot. Um, and building them better, I think is a, yeah, it's an important uh, piece to lay the groundwork for all of, all of the other work. Because when I talk about the fact that we can't do this, I can't do this problem. I can't resolve this problem by myself. I can't, you know, mm -hmm. by the end of my life, I would like to have, you know, seen a big dent made in this issue. Yeah. But um, in order for, and I understood this when last year, when I, when I dug into, okay, how am I going to resolve this in my lifetime that was my big goal at the time yeah <laughs> and, and resolving right like um how inflated how inflated my ego has to be to think that i'm the one that's going to solve it but no and i and i and i just knew that i wanted to resolve that i knew that like <sighs> i just i it constantly broke my heart to think that there were children not only children in orphanages uh who didn't have you know homes to feel safe and care and attention and and their needs met, but also knowing that there are children wandering streets and they're, you know, under 10 years old and, and not knowing who those children are. And, um, and for those children to feel in a place that they have to protect themselves, um, when others should be protecting them, their community should be protecting them. And, and, and I don't think of community as a local community necessarily, even though I think it is, you know, we need to go to that local level to understand, um, how to support them the way that they need to be supported and the way that they want to be supported and giving voice to those communities. But I don't think of community as, you know, their responsibility because it's their community. It's, you know, their problem. I think community as humanity, as the world. And 
so when I think about, you know, having to resolve this issue and knowing that it's interconnected with so many pieces that it's interconnected with justice, it's interconnected with um, food security, um, it's incredibly important to ensure that we do have a way of engaging with one another um, that is um, collaborative rather than disconnecting. And so that also is, you know, pushing the limits for a lot of Christian organizations to be like, okay, you know what? we're in this community and rural Uganda, how do we, um, and then there's a, another Muslim organization and they're working in another rural community. How do we partner with another religious organization rather than being disconnected so that, you know, mm. more heads together are better than separated. And so sometimes it is about putting down our, our, uh, you know, keeping our mission statements or our vision statements to spread the gospel, but also um, I think it's much more important to think about how are we going to spread Christ's love rather than our agendas. Oh, there's a lot of work to go around. For. <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot of work to go around for everybody. This is more interconnected than I ever thought. I always thought it was just like, you know, maybe three categories of people involved. This is like all of us. Yeah, it really is. So someone, I don't know if you know off the top of your head. Um, I actually think I knew this number. I don't know why I randomly read this stat somewhere, but it was a couple of years ago. I should probably look it up here. We might be able to pull it up. Uh, how many orphans, right now in the world just roughly how many would you say uh um it's really hard to tell so um because there isn't um a lot of countries don't have a systematic way of knowing um it yeah. depends on their you know governmental uh systems systems again um and really knowing about the number is important to understand um yeah what needs what are the needs there uh, and how big the needs are. Um, I honestly don't know what the number is, but I, I feel like I, you do. <laughs> I know the number. Thank you, Google. Um, <laughs> according to UNICEF, there is estimation is uh, 153 million children worldwide are orphans. Yeah. So the, so the, that number I would say is definitely a, a, a variable estimate. Um, and I, obviously it's UNICEF, but so I would be, um, uh, I can't disagree with that number as an estimate. Um, but I will say that the variables that are, that are involved are that there are children who aren't orphans and yet they're in orphanages. So, the reason that I'm hesitant to give a number of whether or not we should support prevention or intervention um, mm -hmm. is because orphanages can be a big moneymaker for uh, people who are looking to make money. So you tell a parent in Cambodia who's in rural Cambodia that you're going to take their child and bring them to a school and then you're going to educate them. And you're essentially lying to the parents. And this happens this happens in Uganda, this, hap this happens in Cambodia, uh, and in a lot of different places along the line of, you know, in the global south. Um, and, and so 
these children are taken away from their families, put into orphanages, and then volunteer people from Australia and the United States and Canada and the UK go thinking that they're helping orphans, but really they're helping children who've been coaxed to go in there um, so that the orphanage can make money. Um, and so there's times where we need to be really mindful of that these places are, um, yeah, they're they're false and they're they're corrupt, um, and that is another another important point that we need to do our research before we support organizations. Um, it's a, it's incredibly important to do the research. Um, there's a organization. Uh, created by Tara Winkler, who's an Australian, and she's she um, created the Cambodian Children's Trust, and she has a TED talk on this, and it's um, it's uh, it's illuminating in in the corruption that can be happening, uh, and certainly um, there's plenty of stories about in East India, and I'm sure that there are other places as well that do this, that where um, where uh, corrupt people take children and they harm them in order for them to have a disability and then they get more money from tourists. Um, and so there's, there needs to, and they, you know, I know it's heartbreaking, um, but um, they, they're, you know, in many times they're stolen from their families. Um, and so they have two parents, but they're taken away, they're trafficked. Um, the other thing too, is that there are many children who aren't recorded because either they're in rural areas and they don't have access, like UNICEF, United Nations don't have access or they're constantly on the go. Um, yeah, so there's children in um, a number of urban areas around the world in the global south that will just travel under the radar in the city as a group of children. This, no, that, that would make sense if you factor in the money side of it. So this number could be either way higher or maybe it could be lower. Yeah, I would still say like that's a pretty big number no matter how you look at it and yeah. no matter what the variable is, yeah. So you, you, you'll be like a plus minus 50 million on this? I, I, I would say it doesn't, that number is a good number to go by. Yeah. But I think again, the systems, we go back to the systems of how do we support families in um, and it, uh, yeah, how do we support systems, family systems, so that parents feel empowered, they're knowledgeable? How do we educate rural families to know what to look out for uh, from people that want to swindle them and take their children away with going to quote unquote schools? How do we create a justice system in a country that supports, you know, and empowers um, their citizens to know what's going on? That's, like, it's, that's when we get really complex. And I understand, like, that's probably where the heaviness sits in for a lot of people of like, how do we, how do we save, how do we change the government systems? Um, and, and I, <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> There's already enough or non-governmental organizations that feel uh, disempowered even in um, it, even in the global North. So let alone um, having to uh, fight against um, corrupt systems and in, in governments in the legal system. I'm not going to call it a justice system because it's not, always just it's a legal system um mm. but yeah fighting against those corrupt systems or those broken systems um yeah it's it can feel very it can feel very disempowering and and i think that 
there's a way forward, there's hope, but um, we're not going to be able to do it alone. We can't do it like no single organization can make a solid dent um, in, a, in any country by themselves, interconnected, coming together as different levels of systems and communities. We need to be working on that together. Um, and, and, and I definitely agree that it needs to come from the people rather than, you know, an outsource organization. They can maybe facilitate, but I think it's really, um, you know, a, a country needs to be built on the foundations of the people that are there. And who own it? Um, it? It's there's, as I say, there's enough work to go around for everyone. Just this problem alone would require shaking up a lot of uh, kind of how we do things. Mm, yeah, policies and 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 you're talking about changing the. Uh, I'm not going to say the whole engineering landscape, but it's like the whole infrastructure landscape in a lot mm. of these countries. But it's like, how do you? I know some of the more modern infrastructures, you know, they, they kind of factor that in, but I, I don't know to what degree. I know that, you know, like if it's in the global north, then they probably have a better way of doing that. You know, say buildings maybe might be earthquake proof here and there and stuff like that. But I think it's just probably not even looked at if we, you know, if we go, if we look at global south countries. Well, and so, uh, for instance, recently, I don't know where it's at now, um, but um, there, are, there are a lot of countries uh, like Australia, New Zealand, who've put systems in place to require businesses to um, ensure that every step of the development of a product that is imported into the country is ethical. Uh, even the the material sourcing, um, and so Canada is pretty close to uh, putting that in place, um, and and that has consequences for businesses who work internationally. And I think that there are uh, there are responsibilities for com for companies to ensure that the the buildings that they work out of all of their um, their products or their businesses that are international um, are also from a standard that is that is um, that aligns with the needs of the country to be resilient to that country that that areas that regions vulnerabilities rather than just aligning to the government's um, requirements of building standards um, and I think when we come to we understand responsibility differently when we mm. when we take out that we know that some governments are just not going to fulfill that. We know that you know right now that a government isn't in a place to um, to act in integrity and for the people. Um, and and when that isn't when that's the case, then it's um, it's really up to the people who uh, and the private sector as well as the nonprofit sector to um, step up and yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be easy. I think it, this is where, this is where uh, behavioral scientists and marketers and influencers come into play. Cause um, we've done in, in the global North, we've done a lot of changes and we have a lot of impact because the consumer's voice says a lot. It, it has impact. Um, and, and I think that, 
you know, leveraging again, those systems on a global uh, mm -hmm. front is really, uh, can be really powerful and, and impactful to supporting the work that needs to be done in the global South. Um, but again, um, yeah, it's just so, it, it's so interconnected. It's so hard to pull all these pieces together, but, um, or apart, I mean, and together. Um, but, um, yeah, um, there's a lot to, a lot of work to be done together. So, uh, we're just going to take a quick break and then we'll, you know, come back and talk about, you know, what obstacles and, you know, what are some of the potential solutions that you have in mind, some of the things that we should look at. And there's some interesting numbers I'm looking at here, for instance, every day, uh, this is from adoption.org. It's, it says something, uh, every day, an estimated 5,700 more children become orphans. Mm. Hmm. So that's, when I first read that, I thought those like, a month or something yeah 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 it's uh it's quite the problem yeah so we're gonna take a break and then uh we'll come back and we'll talk about how we can start solving this problem sure let's do it Thank you. in the next episode we'll continue the discussion with our guest melissa on the subject of child orphans We'll talk about how we can support NGOs to function with a more business mindset, with updated tracking algorithms, databases, websites, and so forth. This was episode two of the Child Orphan series. Your host for today was Calvin Cavanda. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode.